Hi investors, this is Danny with Investorly. At Investorly, we empower you to invest early in your financial future. In episode nine of A Conversation With, we welcome Kevin Svensson, a professional crypto trader and investor. We learn about his self-taught investing journey, his personal strategies, on-chain metrics, and how to remain mentally fit to be a successful investor. He also explains how he's made some of his most accurate price predictions. To stay informed of upcoming episodes and receive our insightful weekly newsletter, subscribe at investorly.substack.com. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Where are you coming in from today? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Um, It's great to be here. Uh, Yeah, guys, I'm coming in from Philadelphia, right outside of Philadelphia on the East Coast. How about you guys? Okay, and we, we live in Los Angeles, actually. Oh, cool. I was actually living in L.A. Uh, in 2017, um, and I, I saw that your, your page says that you're a professional stunt driver. I was actually also working in Hollywood for a little while, for about a year as well, um, in 2017, so that's interesting. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to chat, uh, chat about that sometime, but um, yeah. uh, this is, I just want to make sure this is a real Kevin Spencer, right? Because uh, there's about... 60 fake uh, Twitter accounts out there claiming to be Kevin Yeah, Spencer. I know. <laughs> but but isn't, that, isn't that for everybody, though? Like, every influencer? I guess so. I, it, I, honestly, though, I, I, I wouldn't uh, label you as uh, an influencer. I would label you as an educator. I think it's much much more sure, appropriate. Sure. But it's just like the general <laughs> term, because, I mean, I see, I see this for all of them. I mean, we, we, everyone struggles with it. I don't know. Do I have more than normal? I, I hope not. Well, there's uh, you know, Kevin Svensson '85. There's Kevin Svensson '14. There's there's a lot of them. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Yesterday, one of them followed me. One of the scammers followed me. <laughs> Unbelievable. Actually, there was one who uh, I commented on your tweet today, and there was one who responded back, and it was like, oh, a great way to you know to learn how to day trade and this and that. And I was like, mm. so I clicked on it, and it was you know <laughs> Kevin Svensson '85 or something like that. I'm like. Anyway, so let's get on to the, the, the most pressing and important question. Kevin, do you still own the pump glasses and do you sell them? Wow, that's actually, uh, I'm actually, hmm, should I even say it? There's, there actually is something coming with that. And I haven't said it yet, but I guess I just did. But something to do with that is coming. Um, oh, wow. That's the only hint I'm going to give you. Okay, so the pre-announcement to the announcement is coming. I guess that was that was an uh, yeah an unplanned pre-announcement, but yeah, the pump glasses. There's something coming. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I just haven't seen them in a while, so I figured, hey, I gotta I gotta mention, I gotta bring it up. Well, I'm not talking about the the ones on the stream. I'm talking about the ones in my profile picture. Those there's something coming with that, but that's all I'll say. Oh man, I love it. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> everyone everyone in the space, be on the lookout for that, but. Uh, you know, on to the actual questions. <laughs> um, so, you know, Mike and I created Investorly. It's a, a weekly financial newsletter. It's all about investing early. Can you tell us about your investing background, how you got into crypto and, and sure. your investing journey? Yeah. So when I was in college, um, I was basically trading penny stocks, as does pretty much like every new person that watches the Wolf of Wall Street movie. Um, and they, they start to get excited and they start, you know, trying to trade penny stocks because apparently, you know, that's the way to make the most money. And that's what I was doing in college. My first seat, my first trade ever, I put 90 bucks into a penny stock and I pulled out 900 and that was like hook, line and sinker as my first ever trade was so lucky, totally, total luck. 
but that kind of like got me hooked. Um, and then, I, you know, I was trained throughout college, went to LA. Um, and before that, in 2015, my older brother had already been buying Bitcoin, you know, just randomly, kind of just like as like a side thing. So I bought a little bit with him, but I really had no idea what it was. Didn't really believe in it until actually 2017 when I was in LA and one of my friend's brothers, and he was like, I got to tell you about this thing called Ethereum. And so he, t- he told me about Ethereum after I really understood what it was. I kind of just aped in, maxed out my credit card, maxed out my debit card, aped in at $45. Next thing you know, we're pumping to hundreds. And I was like, wow, this is so much better than the stock market. Um, and then shortly after that, you know, just kept digging. Um, was heavily involved in the Ethereum Facebook group just as a user of the group. Um, so that's where people started to kind of follow me, I guess, was Facebook. And then I posted my first video for YouTube on that group, which is how I got sort of seen initially. But yeah, I mean, um, that's kind of the, the, the quick the quick review, I guess. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty fascinating. So, you know, your your older brother mentioned it to you, I guess, was he kind of a mentor in a way or he's just like, hey, check this out. I'm, I'm studying it as well. Or did you have a mentor that initially got you into into stocks? Um, well, interest, though, my older brother was kind of like the person that showed me a lot of the things that I like. He introduced me to music, to making music, making movies, which are all things that I've done in the past and also crypto. Um, so in a sense, he kind of like guided a lot of different areas, though everything was really self-taught. Um, uh, my father back then did not believe in stocks because his father, my grandfather, lost a fortune in the stock market. So he was always against it, but I was always for it. So I actually had some resistance going into this current career that I have now. I had a lot of resistance from my parents back then and all that. They were like, Gary, it's too dangerous. You can't do it you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so no, I really didn't have um, a mentor. I guess the internet was my mentor. And uh, the uh, stock you bought, you said was a penny stock. It went from nine cents to 90 cents. What What was that? No, no, no. It went, I put in $90 and it went to 900 as a total value. Oh my gosh. It was called Hangover Joe's um, like energy drink. It's gone now. The stock it, it doesn't exist. Um, but it was like some like, like um, hangover energy drink called Joe. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> if you look that's... it up now, it doesn't exist. So <laughs> there's probably people. Uh, there, there's probably reports of like heart attacks or something like that from people drinking it. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So that, uh, obviously, that's a kind of crappy trade for penny stocks, but <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so you know, I mean, since 2017 or even before that. You're investing, your style of investing has, has changed, it's evolved, it's altered. Uh, how, how was it in the beginning, like 2016 and 17, and how has it evolved uh, to what it is now? So when I first started, I thought that I had to be a trader, a swing trader. I, I thought that that's what I had to do. I had to make money within a day, day trading, or within a week or a month, and that's the way it was. Right. That's just like what I, you know, it's just kind of like the impression I had. And I realized over time that the more trades you make, the more likely it is for you to take a loss or make a mistake. 
And then as I started to become more patient and more calm and a little bit more just hands off, kind of like go with the flow more, I kind of let the market just do the work for me over time, time in the market. That's when I started to see, you know, wealth actually grow. And I was like, wow, you know, I was overcomplicating all of this stuff for years. And now that I'm doing less, I'm making more. So, so Kevin, you make a, a great point there. And we talked about this last week. And a lot of our, our guests have, have talked about time in the market is better than timing the market or much easier. And so you sort of, you, you mentioned that. When you think about how you've evolved your investing style and been able to incorporate patience what do you think has allowed you to sort of get to that level where you can be more patient? You can let the market sort of do its job for you, as you just mentioned. Yeah, that's actually kind of hard um, at first. And it, it took me, it took me like a couple of years really to get in that. It, t- it takes a lot of time. It really is just a lot of time. Like, you, I mean, first of all, you have to make enough mistakes and sort of punish yourself enough through all of your mistakes to then come to a point, a turning point in your mind where you're like, hold on, I'm doing something wrong. And then it just takes time. You know, like I can watch my portfolio now do these insane swings, you know, like I'll, I'll lose like, you know, my portfolio is down like six figures in a few hours and, I'm, and I could just go to sleep. Like now that's how it is back then. I'd be sweating, I'd be up all night, I wouldn't sleep. And really, it's just, you have to you have to have faith in the market. You know, markets go up and to the right over time. Practicing time in the market is also just being patient with yourself. You know, it's just all about time. I'm not totally sure if I explained that perfectly, but. No, I think, I think that's fantastic. And honestly, you know, what you said is, it, unfortunately, it takes a loss sometimes to realize and kind of humble yourself and, and be psychologically ready to invest again, uh, and then actually be successful, um, you know, and and learn patience. But since you're self-taught, I'm so curious. You're so uh, great at technical uh, analysis, technical uh, fundamentals, uh, knowing about Bollinger Bands and and trends and trend line trend lines, and knowing about uh, macro and micro and, you know, on-chain metrics and things like that. How did you learn all of that? Where, where did your background come from that? Um, did you have like a science background or computer science background? How did you come across that? No, I, I did not have any um, background at all. Um, I actually went to film school, which is funny, right? Um, but I spent, I don't even know, I go try to calculate it, how many hours I've spent staring at the, the charts. Definitely, like, it's probably over 10,000. Like, I don't even know. Like, it has to be. Like, I've spent hours every day, like, so long, every day for years upon years upon years, looking at the chart day in, day out. And when you do that, when you just stare at the charts in the markets day in and day out for years, where your existence literally just is looking at the charts, that the the whole experience over those years of you looking at those charts then becomes literally who you are. And that means that you start to get a really good idea of what the market behavior is like because your perspective opposed to somebody who, who looks at the chart once a day for like a second, they, they don't see, they don't see like all the intricacies, all the little details, you know, once you have enough time just staring at the charts, 
I mean, you just the market behavior comes clear. And that's really where all of my experience has come from. And I think that's really my edge on the market is understanding the market behavior and having sort of like a natural instinct for what's for what's coming. Like and it, it, it's really just based on just staring at the chart for tens of thousands of hours. It's like somebody that is doing uh, is analyzing a soccer game, and they play every game of soccer for the past ten years. They know where the ba- the, the player who the, the player is going to pass to. They already know like where it, like what's going to happen before it happens. Sometimes they're wrong, and the player makes a different decision than they think. But all that time spent watching the game allows them to get that behavior down in their head. And the same thing goes for markets. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, good. Point and, and I appreciate that you shared that, that it's a really world experience. And it really goes to show not only do you need patience, you need experience. And that together over time will really help you deliver and sort of understand how to make gains. I want to move towards your YouTube because you're big on YouTube. So what's the idea of YouTube when you started? Like, what was the idea where you go, I'm going to YouTube videos this is the platform for me, and this is why I chose that. Well, like I was saying earlier in this uh, conversation, um, my start for social media was actually on Facebook, and I was in the Ethereum Facebook group in 2017. I'm sure if you search my name in that group, you would like, see a lot of old posts from me. And I even made posts about how Ethereum was going to take over Bitcoin because I didn't really understand all that as much back then. But I was very like big on Ethereum, and, and that's kind of where I got started. And I was like spamming the group constantly, talking to people. People kind of like figured out who I was or like saw me. And then basically we're getting to the height of the 2017 bull market, and then we go into 2018, and the parabolic trend for Bitcoin breaks down. And to me it was clear that you know everybody that wanted to buy crypto had already bought, and now we're getting a technical breakdown of the chart. And this is looking like really bad. We're probably going to have a year-long bear market. The stock market was also selling off. And I thought, you know, this is really dangerous. There's all these people putting their life savings at what I thought was the top, which it was in the end. And so I made a video for YouTube, like a warning. I said, hey, guys, you know, crypto's great, but we're totally overextended. And most of these coins have no use back then. The coins were not being used at all. It was just like, oh, you're buying into the future idea of this project, and the only use it has is you sending it to another exchange to sell it. That's what 2017 was, 2018. There was no fundamentals. And I recognized that, and I talked about that in the first video on my YouTube channel, and I immediately got like 2,000 views on my first video, which is pretty good. I was like, wow, okay, that, that's a good start got like 100 subs right off the bat. So I said, let me just keep going. Makes sense. And look at you now, uh, a legend in the space. So <laughs> so Kevin, talk about the videos that you're making and stuff. There's so much valuable content in them. How long does it take you to produce them? What's your thought going into them? And how do you determine what you're going to talk about? So when it comes to producing a video, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm watching the charts day in, day out. I'm always looking. Uh, you know, there's you know the, the the one thing about crypto YouTubers, the little advantage we have, is that the the market creates content for us. Something happens, okay, we got a video idea now, right? So we can always just pop out videos. 
you know, day after day, week after week. So that's our, our little advantage. But for me, I can pump out videos really fast because, again, I do have a film background, so I'm a very quick editor. Basically, my video ideas are something that I think about throughout the day or in the morning. So I'll wake up, do my morning routine, whatever, and I'm sort of thinking about what I'm going to say for hours, it just in my head, planning out in my head for hours. And I have like key ideas that I'm thinking about, okay, that, I'm going to say that. And then I kind of just hit record and the script is like in my head. Like that's kind of just how it goes. Nice. Yeah. I think, I think when you do it like that, it comes across authentic too, right? right. It's not a hundred percent scripted, really just off the cuff from your head. So you've prepared, but yet you also are not just reading from a script. And I think that's also probably played a, a big role in how you continue to just impress and, and gain followers. So now is a chance for our uh, community uh, question from Dennis. Dennis, you're up here. Oh, if you want to jump off up, of man? mute. 58,000, right? Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say, uh, yeah, Kevin, you you put out like really great stuff. Uh, just wanted to thank you for that. It's it's awesome to see like where your channel's gone over the last like, I don't know. When did I start following you? Must have been a few years, but kudos, man. Awesome work. Yeah, it's been a while. You've been following me for a while. Also, I'm curious. You are definitely, because I, I, I already know Dennis, um, you are definitely a Bitcoin maximalist in a sense, right? Yeah, I'd say so. Like I I don't I don't buy other coins. Um the extent that I get into other coins is like airdrops. That's as far as I go. That's pretty much it. So my question do you get annoyed when I talk about other coins? <laughs> uh no, like so like Luckily luckily from- <laughs> in my my content is like ninety percent Bitcoin anyway, so it's it's kind of on occasion. It would just be like chain link basically. Other than that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think that's a problem. I know a lot of uh I know a lot of maximalists, like including myself, like we, we give a lot of shit to like altcoiners and all that, but there are a lot of things that we do agree on and that's like totally cool. Like if you want to trade stuff, go for it. You wanna get into other coins, go for it. As long as you, you know, know what you're getting into, I think it's totally cool. Yeah, dude, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on. That was uh, more of an appreciation uh, message. So, well, you know, what we'll do with that. Thank you, Dennis, for that. That's cool to hear. Uh, we're bringing up Brad now. Let's have a question from Brad. Brad, do you have a question? Yeah. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Uh, What's up, Brad? I was curious if uh, if you do much fundamental analysis, like when you're trying to when you're when you're looking at something, and you're thinking about, oh, is this a good project to invest in or not? What do you use for the criteria that a you Are know, you talking about like, like altcoins? Yeah, yeah, altcoins, yeah. You know, if, if you do technical, if you do fundamental analysis, I mean, obviously, you know, you're a chart guy, so I know I know that. But like, you know, do you look at like trade volume, look at how much, you know, social media volume there is, you know, and their groups to it? and Or do you, you know, do you look at like the founders? Do you go really deep and, you know, say what's the technology like and what are the founders background so yeah for me the way the this is actually it's an interesting question because i've never really like broken it down in my own head about how i do it but now i realize what i do is i i'm I'm looking at projects and i'm trying to figure out because right now the crypto industry is in the infrastructure stage we're still building infrastructure it's not totally built we have like a skyscraper with just like the frame and all the goodies are not inside yet kind of like how i see it 
So I'm still looking at projects from an infrastructure perspective, and I'm trying to pick out the ones that are going to provide good infrastructure. And then basically, I try to figure out, does it make sense to me? Is this something that's going to revolutionize crypto from an infrastructure perspective? Because that's really the only thing that I see of value right now. I mean, there is you know upcoming gaming stuff and all that, whatever. But I look at, does the technology make sense? And then I look at the chart after. So for me, it's more so just the technology. Does the technology make sense? Is it going to revolutionize crypto? If I feel like it will and I understand it, then I look at the chart afterwards. So it's actually not, it's usually not about the chart at all for, for altcoins. Unless I look at, unless I want to buy it and I look at the chart and it's already overvalued or something like that. But for me, it's more so, do I understand the technology has a future? And if it does, and it's at a good price, then I'll buy it. So but I, I, I presume you don't have like a computer science background. Or do you have people that you lean on for to try to say, hey, you know, what do you think about this from a technical standpoint? I have a, a degree in computer science engineering. So I, I understand a lot of this stuff. At least I, I think I do <laughs> most of it. Right. right. But, um, but if you don't have that, then it makes it, I think it, it I could see how it would be tough for a lot of people to understand. Yeah, no, so it, it is very, very tough because I'm not an expert and all of the intricacies of the technology. The only thing that I can do from my standpoint, because I really am more so a, um, somebody that studies market behavior, market psychology, and then also charts and technicals. And then, you know, everything else comes after that. For me, the only thing I can do is see if I understand what I'm looking at and do I see the impact that it could have on the industry. And that's really where most of my investing comes from. And that's basically how I found Chainlink um, in 2017. In September, I was actually on StockTwits making posts about it back then. And basically, I just saw like, okay, this, this project is going to link real-world data with smart contracts. And now smart contracts, instead of being this like dead code, now they're, it's going to be like a living, breathing code. And I go, oh, that's going to change everything. And so I bought it. And it was kind of that simple, actually. Yeah, th thank you for those answers. Thank you for the questions, Brad. And we're going to keep it moving here. Diving into what you're saying here with infrastructure plays and technology, Kevin, is there one maybe crypto that you want to share recently that you felt like fits the bill of what you were just describing? Ooh, the next hot pick. Everyone wants it. <laughs> um, a few months ago, or many months ago, I would have said Polygon, but that's already overpriced that was something that i picked up at four cents and that went really well but that is already sort of that's already evolved into a pretty to a pretty big degree so you guys obviously know binance bnb and the binance smart chain and the effects and the impact of that and that huge role in building the infrastructure for crypto for both centralized decentralized exchanges all that the one that I see up and coming, that it may not be, it probably won't be as big as Binance or BNB, but it's KuCoin, KCS, because they're taking a very similar route. KuCoin lists all of the new exotic cryptos, right? They're getting new listings constantly. Kind of reminds me of Binance back in the day. And also they have the KCC chain being built around the KCS token. So we have the KCS exchange token that is going to have its own chain built around it, just like Binance Smart Chain, BNB. 
No, that's very interesting. I, you know what? I didn't even remember that, Kevin, and, until talking about it. And I, I saw a video of yours about mm, two, maybe three months ago now, and you were talking all about KuCoin. And I'm sure you talked about it, and now it's gone up like 600% since then. But, no, not, um, that, not that much. It's gone, it's over okay, 100%. good. I think it's like 100%. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Still, though, but um, yeah, that's one I never even I never even thought to to check out. I I, um, I, I definitely am a little biased when it comes to uh, your videos um, wh- when I see ones that uh, that I really am drawn to. <laughs> but uh, uh, I I wanted to talk about um, what you mean by uh, you know we have a lot of people in the space here, a lot of people with different kinds of backgrounds, whether they're stock or crypto investors or traders or what have you. And there's something uh, unique that you can look at when it comes to crypto that trades 24-7, 365, mind you. But there's something called on-chain metrics. And right. you mention it constantly in your videos, but you also mention it, um, you just you just mentioned them you know, the past few days in your tweets. What are on-chain metrics and how do you use them uh, in, your, in your analysis? I mean, it's basically the best. I mean, it is, it is fundamental analysis. I mean, on-chain data, it shows you, like, the lifeblood of, of the entire network. Like, it is fundamental analysis. I, I would say that's really what it is. So how do I use it, my analysis? I mean, really, the first thing you have to do is get familiar with all the different metrics, and you have to basically just see the behavior of certain metrics at certain moments. For me, it's like, you know, trying to spot when certain on-chain metrics are peaking, or, or hitting a low and basically trying to match that up with what's happening now. So like currently what's interesting, if you're looking at the on-chain metrics, they are all like exact, the exact opposite of what they were at the 5K top. So at the 65K peak back in earlier this year, all of the on-chain metrics were showing that long-term holders were like totally like exiting. They were all selling. And what's interesting is if you look at them now, it's the exact opposite. We have like peak accumulation for long-term holders. Um, so really it's just, you know, that's kind of, I just look at it like that. Just try to look at the past, the metrics looking like, how does that compare to now? What does that tell me now? That's that's perfect, I think. And also that's how, um, what you said recently as well, that's how the previous resistance, 65, 66,000 earlier this year now becomes support. I, I do want to ask this, and this may have something to do with the on-chain metrics as well. Right after our 65K uh, top uh, earlier this year, it wasn't a blow-off top. And you mentioned that several times throughout your uh, your videos as well, which I think was fantastic because a blow-off top is like straight up and then straight down like we saw in 2017 and 18. Um, and this one was, I think you said, kind of like a table top. So it stayed at like 60 yeah, it was, a, it was the 000. first flat top in Bitcoin history. Right. And so with that, we had a major pullback. How were you able to call 30,000? I mean, <laughs> for a human being so, to call so 30,000. I, I didn't and, call the top, though, right? So I, I, I didn't call the top. Right. Um, I was actually thrown off by that flat top, the Y caution, because it was just so unlike Bitcoin. Um, like I said, you know, I... I so this is the interesting thing, like, you know, I've talked about market, um, understanding market behavior, knowing the behavior by just staring at the charts all the time. Well, you know, sometimes it changes, right? And then you get thrown off and now you have to, <laughs> you have to rethink everything, which actually just happened at that 65K peak. 
um, flat top Wyckoff distribution kind of showed me, you know, I guess we have different players now in the space, which is clear we do. And now the, the market's being traded differently. We have this like Wall Street-esque behavior now, you know, coming out into our market, which is kind of annoying, but it is what it is. Um, but the blow-off top signals still work for Ethereum generally and altcoins. Um, wait, what was, what was the second part of your question? I forget. Uh, how you were able to call the, the oh, 30,000 yeah. bottom. So the, um, the weekly volume on Coinbase. Okay, so every major, if you go to the weekly chart on Coinbase, you pull up the volume, every market top, every main top market bottom has had a massive volume signature that exceeds all previous levels of volume in its area. Every top, 2017 top, right next to the 3,100 bottom, in 2018, 2019, 14K top, massive volume signature, March low. Now, the 65K peak did not have that volume signature, which was the first time I've ever seen a top without it, which is why it threw me off. But when we dumped the 30, boom, that volume signature popped up. And I was like, oh, that's it. There it is. That's the bottom. And it was really that easy. It was like, we got the volume signature, the classic signature that we always get for a bottom. And I was like, you know what? This barely ever fails, so I'm just going to go with it. And it was a fantastic call. I don't know if there's a human alive that could get that close from, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know exactly when you called it, but it was, it was, it was definitely like the, day, the day of, the, the day of hitting. So technically it was wrong if you want to count the like $100 below that we sold. But it was close enough, you know, it was like, if you were buying that $30,000 level, I mean, does it really matter if we go to 28.8? Not really. With that amazing call, you've had many. Do you have one call that you're like, stands above all of the others for your best call ever? That's a good question. Well, you know, it's like no call is ever perfect. You know, a lot of my calls are imperfect. But from a macro perspective, they're pretty good, right? Like, I'll call something in a, in a price range, and, e and even though it's wrong by like a small margin, and the swing traders are pissed at me, well, all the macro traders and the people just accumulating and stacking are happy with the call. Um, I don't know, the 30K call was decent. So I would say probably the one in 2018, in January of 2018, or February, I called $2,500 low for Bitcoin in the bear market. Now we hit 3,100, so it was off by 600 bucks but for a one year long call that was probably the best i would say because it was really damn close for for like a whole year away wow that's pretty fascinating and i'm sure you stuck with it the same as you stuck with you know the thirty thousand bottom earlier this year that you called so i i do want to ask about um the the top at sixty five thousand earlier this year and there, you said the reason it, it threw you off do you think like, um, you know, it wasn't a blow off top, it stayed uh, consistent, at, you know, in that range, and moved sideways, actually, for a while. Do you think it's like, quote, this time is different because of, uh, you know, all the interest from institutions, companies accepting it? Do you think that's where the support came from and why it, it stayed at that level for so long? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting is, you know, somebody that is used to Bitcoin, and has been trading since like 2015 or whatever, 
and they're used to these certain types of tops. This time around at 65K, we didn't get those signals. And if somebody from Wall Street had just hopped into the market this year, last year, and they saw that market top, they would, say, they would probably be able to just be like, oh, that's a top. This looks really bearish. But for all the Bitcoin people, they didn't get their usual signals, so it threw them off. So I feel like it's, it is, it's probably the outside money interests coming in, I would say, that's causing the market behavior to change, if that's what your question was. Let's move forward with a question that I had. What is three peaks and a dome house? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, three peaks and a domed house. That was actually after I called the $30,000 low um, on the day of us wicking to 30K on the first initial dump. About a few weeks later, we were like testing 28.8. We bounced up. It was around, I think it was June 20th. On June 20th, I was looking at some patterns, just like studying patterns. And I came across a 2011 gold chart that had the like exact same look at the 65K top. Like it had the initial run to like the 42K, then a pump up to three peaks. The 2011 gold chart had like the exact formation that we had at 65K. And I thought, you know, this is interesting that we're, we're now getting to a point where Bitcoin's market cap is like super big, super huge, right? And now we have like Wall Street interest. And now we're playing out this market structure that looks just like the 2011 gold chart, three peaks into downtown. And so then I dived into George Lindsay's writings about it from 1970, where he discussed three peaks and jumped house, like all the requirements. And he said like in, in real time trading, the pattern can be slightly different, but as of right now, we're, we're like right on track with the 2011 three peaks in the domed house or the 2011 gold chart for three peaks in the domed house. And, you know, of course it was a guess, you know, back then I was like, this seems possible. So let me just make a prediction because it seems like it's likely to play out. And now over time it's played out like perfectly. So, you know, I don't know that that it is what it is. And, and we'll why do you think continues. that is? I mean, yeah, well, I hope it does. But um, and why do you think that is that like, you know, um, there are two different assets, uh, obviously two different times. It was 10 years ago. Why do you think we're repeating the exact same pattern from gold 2011 to Bitcoin 2021 here? It's, it's behavior. You know, it's just people, you know, humans don't really change. You know, we evolve pretty slowly. <laughs> so the way that people react to certain events and certain types of market movements is just, you know, it just continues to happen over and over, right? You know, why, why do certain patterns break up or down a certain percentage of the time? You know, it's just human behavior. So I think maybe if you looked at the 2011 gold era, and you look at the way that people were behaving or how were people regarding gold back then, you probably see similarities in the way that they regard gold to the way that we now regard Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. Um, It's just, I think it's just human behavior and also huge market cap, right? Because Bitcoin was at a really low market cap, it wouldn't be happening this way because now we have Wall Street interest, big market cap, but it's really just human behavior. That's been sort of the key to this conversation, human behavior, human behavior, market behavior, behavior. So start studying behavior if you're in the audience if you want to start yeah. to figure it out. <laughs> yep. That's right. All right. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can get that question from Dream Struggle. Mute yourself now, Dream Struggle here. 
Uh, you have a chance to ask Kevin uh, the question. Just unmute yourself. Hi, Kevin. How's it going? Hey, Tia, uh, everything is good. Um, I'm uh, in, in Berlin, Germany, and my, my English is not so great, but I really, really love your your channel, and I'm watching it already since uh, two years, since uh, Sunny Degree recommends you, and you're, you go up like crazy. And uh, my question is, like, um, uh, you have your old school analysis of the Bitcoin chart and, uh, and so on, and now you are using more... Uh, on-chain data and my question is like how does this kind of um, uh, structure be behave your thinking and decision making in calling like the top um yeah so on-chain by, by the way i appreciate all your comments um and also yeah huge a huge shout out to sunny decree for blowing up my channel i went from eight thousand subs to like twenty thousand subs in 24 hours because of him so huge shout out to sunny um, and also I have family in Germany years ago. I was not really, you know, on chain was not very popular. I was not paying attention to it. So it was all about the charts and the news or whatever, but now we have on chain and it's popular and it's very accessible. So we can now actually look directly at what the big guys are doing, right? So the way that it changes my analysis, my approach is if I'm looking at on chain, and it says, and it shows me something, you know, long-term big holders, whales are bullish or bearish. Now I have to, like, I, now it changes the way that I'm looking at the chart. Because if the on-chain metrics say we're bullish, but the chart looks bearish, I have to put less weight on the chart and go with what the on-chain is saying, or vice versa. If the chart looks super bullish, but the on-chain metrics are saying long-term holders, you know, are bearish or something you know, now I have to sort of let go of what I want the technicals to tell me and go with and put a little bit more weight on the on-chain. It's sort of like merging two different types of data, like in my, I guess, in my approach. All right, let's take one more question uh, from the community because we got multiple people trying to get here and I want to get as many questions to you, Kevin, from the audience that we can. Uh, we have some more, Danny and myself, from an investorly standpoint, but really excited to be able to have you and let the community ask you the question. So, Mart Martin, you're up here. You want to ask a question? Hey, yeah. it's Doug. Hey, what's, what's up, up, man? Uh, hey, Martin's uh, actually in my, uh, in my uh, VIP chat. <laughs> uh, I love Kevin. Obviously, uh, he's very smart. He's very fluid. Like, if something comes up, he he analyzes it and deals with it and he incorporates it into what he's doing. My question is we're making a bunch of people a lot of money. What's your plans? I know you like helping people. What's your plans and what would you suggest other people's plans are when when we get all this money and we and we take out the profit in the next year or so, what what do you suggest people should do investment wise uh, in crypto or otherwise? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, it's not going to be the same for every person. I'll tell you that, Bob, because yeah. every one of these account sizes is different. Somebody may cash out uh, $10,000 and say, oh, my God, this is a lot of money. You know, but like, what can you do with that? Really? You can't really buy real estate. So you have to find another way to invest that 10000 And I would say that's, you know, I would say you have to find something else, like some other market to invest in to grow that further. Uh, for the people that are cashing out six figures, 
you could be looking at real estate. I would say probably don't buy a home. Go for uh, a small apartment complex or duplex or something, even though it's probably kind of expensive. But, you know, look at different options, building a small apartment complex or something, something that's just going to create a lot of cash flow um, if you can. Now, a small apartment complex may actually end up being like a million dollars or something, but I personally kind of want to do that. That's, uh, that's what I'm more aiming towards right now is when I cash out, see if I can get, you know, maybe a dozen unit apartment complex and create cash flow or something like that. Um, and how, how do you see option. people turning their wealth into uh, happiness? Like how to help other people? I know you like helping other people. You have a free YouTube channel and your discourse off the chain. It's so fresh. Uh, your Patreon is above above bar on uh creating value i know you like helping people what's what other things would you suggest people that get the money do to make them happier like not financially to make them happier see that's that's the thing um money doesn't net like okay i think jordan belfort just said this on on a podcast he said you know money doesn't buy happiness but being poor is a direct road to every Right. Yeah, so like, yeah, if you're poor, it's not going to be, it's not going to be great. But another, another interesting thing is like, I have a lot more wealth now than I did a few years ago. But one of the happiest times was in the middle of going from nothing to something was when you're like on the road and like things are happening, but you don't have a lot of money yet, but you can just feel something's happening. And that was actually a time where I was quite happy. Like there was real excitement. And then when you hit the money, it's almost like, you know, you need another journey. So you have to find another journey to ha- to create happiness, I would say, because just having the money isn't going to do that. Um, and yes, helping people is a good way to create happiness, right? Even if it's selfish, if you're helping someone to make yourself feel better, well, at least you're helping someone. Yeah, I think that was I think that was a great question, man. And uh, it's you know, speaking of uh, helping out the community, Kevin, thank you personally for getting me over a thousand Twitter followers uh, just the other day. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had to oh, you don't, you have no idea oh, how long Mike has been trying to get okay. me to a thousand. He cares about that okay. way more than I do. But yeah, he got me to like coming and steal your spotlight. I, yeah, listen, I knew that I, I, I had the over under three minutes, not like 40 minutes before this came. It's, it's true. I, uh, I did my best and then you just came in sort of like the way your YouTube channel works and just came in and just pushed Mike off the stage. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just all in. And of course you took the pot and uh, no, that, that, (laughs) that was, that was awesome. No, it was cool. It was cool. Anyway, but yeah, you guys, you guys have a great podcast, though. The way that you guys ask the questions, I think it's, it's really professional. I think you guys are going to be really successful. Wow, thanks. I really, we really appreciate that. Yeah, we, we work really hard on you know our weekly newsletters. We work really hard on our actually our audio podcasts are pretty new. We've only been doing them a few months, but we have you know both have hosting experience. So I we, really we like take a lot of pride. Dual, in. The dual host approach, I think, is awesome. I think it's really cool that way. It's crazy. It's so much more dynamic. Yeah. You know, when yeah, we first, totally. when we first started talking about it, it's like, you know, I, I think we're, 
we're both pretty good at asking questions, but if there's one person asking questions and another person answering, it can get kind of stale. But, you know, right. it brings a different dynamic to it. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. But uh, so I wanted to ask um, about the psychological aspect of investing in crypto. It's a lot more volatile than anything else on Earth, uh, unless you're investing in penny stocks. But any other um, high class asset that on Earth, the trades 24 7, 365. Um, you, you said towards the beginning of this conversation that it, it takes. A, a long time and it takes patience and you need to calm yourself down. But what are some of those things that you did along the way that were like true game changers? Were there times where you just completely walked away? You took a month of vacation. Do you run every morning? Something like that to kind of clear your mind and get you psychologically ready for what the market uh, brings at you every single day. Um, that's a good question. So I do, I do uh, go to the gym three times a week. And I, I suggest that we all do this. We should all be doing this. We should all be going, doing something physical at least a few times a week. Even if you just go to the gym for an hour, which is what I do. I go there for one hour. I do a little bit of weightlifting, a little bit of running, and then I'm out, and that's it. But it changes, it changes everything about it, – it really – it's like it's, a, it's, a, it's totally – it's so necessary to get exercise um, because it will affect your mood and your mood affects your decision-making, which all plays into the psychology. So exercise is definitely key. And if you think that I'm just saying that whatever, and you're somebody that doesn't exercise, you need to at least try. At least try. You know, It's going to suck at first, but you should do it. And exercising, lifting weights, feel good chemicals in your brain. And when you first start working out, you may not like it, but a few months in, a year in, you're going to love to feel good about yourself. You're lifting weights. You accomplish a workout. You feel good. And I suggest everybody does that. Um, so that is huge, I think, for trading is having that part taken care of. And I think it's like spending a lot of time watching your portfolio do crazy and not touching it and just realizing that you don't have to do anything. You know, if, you're, if you have conviction – for what you're invested in and you actually understand what you're buying, you know, you could watch, you could watch your portfolio go crazy and you don't have to do anything. You can just, you know, just relax. Like it's like a roller coaster. You're going to feel, you, you know, you're going to feel some kind of uh, emotions. But I mean, for me, I think it was just like just watching my portfolio move and not doing anything about it and realizing that everything kind of worked out anyway. You know, I guess because a beginner, they're like panic buying, panic selling constantly, right? That's what rookies do. But you don't like, you realize over time, you don't have to really do much to make money. You really don't. Like Warren Buffett buys Coca-Cola, does nothing for a decade or many, many decades and makes tons of money. Like I know this old, old gentleman, I'm not going to say his name, but he's got tens of millions. And he goes, yeah, I haven't sold stocks in like, 40 years he just he just buys he doesn't sell ever and he's like mega wealthy he has a huge portfolio wow uh so with the psychological aspect of it next comes strategy and what did you do early on with your strategies and how has that kind of evolved because like you said if somebody's a rookie with something there's just panic buying they're they're throwing emotions into it 
And that's the worst thing you can do is look at your money like you, you know, oh my God, I, you know, I work really hard for this money and I'm putting everything into whatever, you know, crypto or stock or asset, whatever it may be. How do you leave the emotion aspect out of it and look at it just on a pure fundamental aspect? It's hard to do this when you have a small account because when you don't have a lot of money and you have a small account, you're treating your portfolio and your money as if it's an object, as if the money is actually real, like in your hand, right? That's how you feel about those numbers on the computer screen, as if they're real dollars that you're holding. But you have to get rid of that idea. It's not dollars in your hand. You're just, you're, it's a tool. It's numbers on a screen. It's kind of like a game. And you're using the tool, like this market, as a tool to create you know, a higher number. So you have to stop looking at it as like, oh no, my money, like my dollars. Like money is no object. It's really a flow, right? So if you can get to the point, you gotta get to the point where your wealth is like sort of like more of a flow. One of, the, one of the beautiful things you can do to enhance some of that patience for anyone in the audience listening when you invest is also you can invest in specifically this is with crypto these days where you can earn the yield on the asset. So not only can you never sell, you can earn sort of that dividend yield on an asset and, and that can give you that yield quarterly, weekly, annually, depending on where you're placing the, uh, the investment. But that's another way where you cannot necessarily need to sell have a little bit of patience and understand that you're still sort of earning a little bit in the meantime yeah i'm assuming, I'm assuming that, that's what that guy did but sorry go ahead yeah no it, exactly so you know that it's so funny because no matter how good you are at stuff usually you can after the fact look at, and this happens with the experience as you mentioned oftentimes you'll look if i had just done nothing i would have been in a better position uh, instead of going back and forth with trading and selling something unless the uh, opportunity is to. Uh, but we have a couple more questions, our own, and then we want to make sure to get the community in. Finally, I want to ask, what's your take on NFTs? I mean, that's obviously super trendy right now and a big 2021 development in the space. I mean, where do you fit or see NFTs and, and what's your thoughts? So I'm salty that I didn't get in early. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so I didn't get in early. I don't really have many NFTs. Um, and it's not because I don't believe in it. It's because I thought I missed out. And then it kept going. And now it's still going. And it's still growing. And, and I know some people are going to say that I'm saying this because I, I missed out. And you can, you can believe that all you want. But it's a bubble. It's a pretty damn big bubble. Um, and I do think that NFTs are the future. Um, it's gonna change a lot of different industries in a big way. You know, you know a lot of industries are gonna change um, from a fundamental level because of NFTs. But, you know, I mean, once, like, it's kinda of like 2017. Once everyone that wanted to buy buys, you know, then the market has to turn the other way. And, and NFTs are becoming so big. Every celebrity's talking about it. You have to know that we are in a bubble. You have to know that. So just be careful. 
but have fun, I guess, you know. I also don't necessarily understand it as much as like an NFT, um, you know, fanatic, your average NFT fanatic. Um, but yeah, I mean, the liquidity thing, right? So like if the market's going down, you know, you have to find a person to buy it. You can't just sell into a market. So that's another thing that's going to make the, in, uh, the inevitable bubble burst of the NFT market really, really destructive because you're going to have to find someone to buy it. And that's going to be kind of hard. So I see a lot of dangers with it, but one thing's for sure, when the, like after this, after the crypto market tops out, NFTs top out, you know, a year, two years from now, whatever, I'm going to be heavily investing in NFTs at the next low. I think, I think it has a really good future and I'm going to be heavily investing, heavily investing when I feel like everybody has capitulated panicked. <laughs> that, that's a great point. And it may actually be, I, I've seen a big correlate too, like, when NFTs are on the a mega rise, uh, you know, like when Beeple's uh, artwork was sold, um, crypto was cooling off. And so they're kind of, um, there's this interesting dynamic. Um, they're, they're contrary to one another. But I wanted to ask you, Kevin, what coin or token are you most bullish on out of all of them? Uh, what's the time frame? Five years. Five years. Well, I would say, so... First of all, I want to address Chainlink. I think that even though Chainlink is an underperformer right now, it's the coin that is most likely to be here in the next 10 years because it, Chainlink has its tentacles everywhere. It's so integrated. It's so likely to last for a long, 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 long time. So that would be one answer. Not, um, there are other coins that I think could have more gains than Chainlink in the next five years, 10 years. But in terms of likelihood of being here as, as a secure buy, good fundamentals, all that, Chainlink is definitely up there. But I do think that KuCoin token KCS is a good up and comer that might have some tremendous gains. Wow, uh, Kevin Svensson, a Link Marine. Is that, is that too bold to say that? No, I'm definitely a Link Marine. I think all the Link Marines would agree. Oh, my God. Go. Oh, man. Michael Rippey, if, you know if he could, he would hug you right now. Like, bear hug. <laughs> all, all the, all the Chainlink like, people know that I'm a Link, a Link Marine. I mean, come on. I've made so I, many I didn't know. I, I, didn't put on, I put on a military helmet on a, a Chainlink live stream and did a salute. I mean, I don't know what How did I miss want. that? I completely <laughs> missed that. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, virtual hug, and I've never felt happier to be in a place with you, Kevin. So yeah, Chainlink. When you when you said that, that's that's great. It's amazing because last week we had uh, Markets of Mayhem, and he talked about uh, Chainlink as well. And anytime anyone brings up Chainlink on an unprovoked by uh, Dan and myself, we love it. So uh, we're in complete agreement, I would say, with what you're suggesting. But um, not to steer us too much towards Chainlink, even though we love it. Let's let's get some questions from the audience. I'm going to bring some people up that want to get them in. Uh, Hamza, you acting. So once you uh, can hear us, Hamza, mute yourself, and uh, Kevin is here for you uh, for a question. Uh, it's going good. Thank you for having me. It's a really pleasure. I want to say thank you to Kevin. He's the reason I got into crypto universe. <laughs> it's wow. happened. In, it's happened in Mars this year. I was driver for one um, rich man who was working on crypto world and he was looking at your YouTube channel 
you know, I was asking, listen, if that's your job, he said, yes, I'm working right now. And I was listening to your streams. So I was driving like eight, nine, ten hours per day. I was his uh, personal driver. And he said to me, if you want to get into crypto, if you want to know about more about it, you can listen to him. He has uh, really clue what he is talking about. And he sent me your channel from YouTube, Kevin. <laughs> wow, that's all. Wait, who, who is this? You said it's a rich guy, you said? Yeah, he's, I'm from Norway, actually. From I live in Norway. I live in Norway. Norway. Interesting. Yeah, and I know you're from Sweden, so it's like Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, uh, I live in the U.S. I was born in the U.S., but I am also a Swedish citizen. So, yeah. yeah, I know it. <laughs> so, the, Kevin, you are you are clearly as this is proven just in this space global. Yeah. Oh so yeah, yeah. There is percent U.S. Um, on my on my statistics, and then everything else is like, uh, what is it like? You know, U.K., Germany, Sweden, Amsterdam, or North, um, and then just like all the rest. Now, just thank you for what you're doing because, like I said, you are the reason I got into crypto. And I was asking him, uh, saying, did you watch his uh, last stream? And we we'll, we always talk about the ideas you shared. And your best two luck, your best two shots was uh, the bottom authorities. And after I saw Wyckoff accumulation that you shared. So I showed him and said, wow, this is really interesting. And it's just played out as perfectly. Yeah, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate everything you've said. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm glad, I, I mean, if I'm the one who introduced you to crypto, well, I hope you're doing well then, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> you got to be doing well if you got, uh, you got the introduction from Kevin. Yeah. So I... <laughs> Hamza, do you have a question or just an appreciation? No, actually, I don't. Uh, actually, I just want to answer you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I appreciate that. All right. Yes. Let's go to uh, let's go to mining. Hey, hey, hi. Just uh, from England here. It's uh, one twenty in the morning. Um, Kevin, I haven't stayed up just for you. Just so, just clear the air there. Um, you happen to be online, and I wanted to say hello. So I do have You're a double barrel me. question. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I've, I've left quite a few uh, comments on your uh, Twitter with cheek, with lots of people hating you, and yeah, I, I like I, defending you. Yeah, I think I recognize your, your name. <laughs> yeah, so I've got a double barrel question. I'm not a trader. I've been into crypto since 2017. One of the biggest losses that I've had, it's due to fear of missing out. My fingers just itch and I end up looking at charts and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I kind of want to jump into something and then it starts dipping and I, I lose a couple of hundred. How do you deal with fear of missing out? I mean, do you go south as a trader? So I've actually, of course, I used to all the time, right? I've made, I used to make horrible trades, right? Years ago, I'd buy exact tops. I'd be like the last order in at the top of the wick and then it would drop 50% like that. Right? I've done all that stuff. But over time, I've actually, I've actually almost fully eradicated FOMO. Yeah, the perspective is when a, when a rookie is looking at a chart that's pumping, they see it as like juicy and good. And like, ooh, yeah, I want to buy that. Look, it's so green and it's flying up. 
And in my head, I look at that chart and I say, the opportunity is becoming less and less the higher it's going, right? Now, when I see a chart going down, or when a rookie sees a chart going down, they see it as bad. To me, that's juicy. Oh, red? Good. Juicy. That opportunity is becoming better and better going down. Right? So yeah, if a chart's sense. pumping, the opportunity is running away from you. It's not very attractive, at least to me. So my other double barrel question is, did you actually train as a trader or did you just learn as you went on? Train? Um, no, I, I mean, no, there's no formal training. Um, I've, I've had the best type of training, I would say, which is just doing it, you know, learning the hard way. So, yeah, I mean, no, no, I've had no formal training. It's just okay. been like self-taught. Final question then before I pass it on. What do you think of meme coins? Because I, I know you don't, I, you've not really mentioned the likes of, I, I don't know if I can mention tokens here, but, you know, things like SHIB and Doge and then right. this new GM thing. What are your thoughts on, uh, I, I mean, it's high risk, but risk My versus risk. My thoughts on that they are, they are going to be fantastic vehicles for short positions in the bear market. That's my thought. Pump yeah. it really high. Keep, I want it to keep going. Somebody pump sheep to $1 so we can short that thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that, listen, I think, you know, meme coins, it's fun. There's social value. Um, you know, the, the, uh, it's funny, right? Like Doge, oh, my God, it's funny. And the price is going up. It's like for, like, the, the general population, it's like, an exciting thing to take part of to understand anything. It's just a dog picture with a price and they in and hope to make money. It's like a casino, you know? So like, mm. that's why it's, it has social value. It's like a, it's like a casino or something. Mm. Um, but mm. yeah, I think that I'm going to be looking to short them in the bear market because I think those are going to be the best. So, you know, the general population is FOMOing into Doge and sheep and the price is flying up. And you best believe and that the market, they're, they're going to be panic selling those coins and they're going to drop like a rock. Mm. So I will okay. short them. Thanks thanks for the questions, uh, Mining Hardware. Uh, I appreciate you staying up with us late uh, over back in uh, across the pond. I think we have one more request. I, I'm not sure if Dream Struggler wants to add another question or, or follow up on anything. But if you have a question... This is your last chance to request, and we'll get you up. We got a couple more minutes here with Kevin, and uh, I know Danny wants to finish this off. But uh, Dream Struggler, if you are ready and you want to get a follow up or anything, go for it. And yeah, Kevin, final question. Thanks for having me the second time. I think uh, the question nobody asked uh, this evening, and everybody wants to know is like, what is your most likelihood in which month the market will top? And um, this one's the Fibonacci level or like uh, a near target roundabout plus or minus 20,000 US dollars per Bitcoin. Yeah, so I'm actually surprised no one asked that yet either. Um, so I think a really good, like, if we're going to be, if we're going to be actively very bullish on Bitcoin, I think a good conservative life target is 180,000, which from 65K using your FIB to the 30,000 low or 28.8K low, the 4236 FIB comes in at 180,000. That's just below 200,000, right? A lot of people are expecting 200 something and maybe some, some big players are going to sort of like front run that and look to sell before we get there. 
and you know, whether we go to 200, 230, 250K, I mean, even if you sold everything at 180,000, I'm sure you're going to be fine. You know what I mean? I, I don't see why. What about each uh, uh, 13,000 would be a good medium term or a good overall target, like a general target. So, yeah, we could see a week or a wick, like one week up to like 20, possibly. And um, can what what is your most uh, like what what do you think? It's very interesting for me. Like the time, not 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 like where where it is like, but the time is actually more important. Uh, that's a hard. You know, timing is always the hardest one to predict, really. But I would say within the first quarter of 2022, probably. Um, okay, cool. maybe like February, March, something like that. Okay. But, you know, again, sure. don't hold me to it. I don't I'm, really, I'm, I'm, I don't really want to do timing predictions, but... Yeah, because, like, saying, like, at what uh, level it tops out is one thing, but uh, I think it's kind of similar, important, or maybe more important to know when it will top out, and it really doesn't matter which, which well, no, the no, area. I would, say, I would say, if you're going to sell based on when the top is going to come in in terms of a time, sure. but The pr I mean, if you think it's going to hit that price no matter what, then the timing doesn't matter. So I'll also, I'm going to add on to that and say that um, we got to be looking at the stock market, guys. We have to be looking at the stock market uh, because in 2017, going to 2018, equities became very unstable. We were in a perfect upward sloping channel in the S&P 500 from 2016, 2017, really nice and steady. And right as the S&P and the stock market equities started to become unstable, That's when Bitcoin topped out. And we are in the exact, exact same position right now. Perfect upward sloping channel for the S&P. Once it gets unstable, we may top out for Bitcoin. We have a few more months, a few more months likely of really good, uh, you know, all-time high breaks for Bitcoin. But definitely keep your eye on the stock market. Because, you know, Bitcoin maximalists do not want to admit that there's a correlation. But there is a very clear correlation if you're being realistic. Uh, all right, so thank you, Jim Struggler, for uh, a number of questions. They were helpful. And uh, we brought up Mariana. Uh, Mariana Benton, if you want to ask a question, go for it. Hi. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for sharing. Um, and, and it's been amazing to listen to you. My question is, as a new person that's getting into crypto, part of me feels that maybe I missed the boat. And I see all these other people that have been able to make it, per se, And uh, here I am, a new person starting, and uh, part of me is faced with the fact that I think that I cannot make it because I missed the boat. And so I wanted to ask you, for, for new people who are getting into the crypto space, um, do you feel that there is still opportunity for us? And um, kind of get your perspective on that. That's a great question, and I appreciate you joining the call. So, um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. There is definitely opportunity left. There's more money to be made in the coming months. Um, but it is true. We're at a point now where it is, you got to be cautious because Bitcoin is testing the all-time high. Ethereum's right above the all-time high, right? So like we're have another breakout scenario likely coming of like many months of upside, but just be prepared that this is not like you're buying Apple stock or Microsoft or Facebook stock or something where it's just like a growth stock, right? This is crypto, highly speculative, huge ups, huge downs. And 
we're likely going to come back to these levels or lower in the bear market. So if you are, you know, in the coming months, it's probably best to take profits, right? You can't treat this like you're buying a growth stock in the stock market. It's completely okay. different. Okay. Right. So, yeah. Just be, just be prepared for, you know, an ugly bear market um, thing. This is like, if you feel like, Oh my God, I, I missed out. You didn't, you haven't missed out because the prices will come back very likely to where we are now or lower. So you're actually going to get a better deal at some point than you can get now. And this is just going to be a patience game. So if you're going to hop into the market and you want to make as much as possible, you got to be buying lower cap, not don't go for like super small coins, but like slightly lower cap coins that could have more multiple X returns. If you're, if you're looking to be aggressive, right? Um, If that's, if you want to like, you know, quote unquote, make it in the next few months, you're going to have to like find some very good particular plays. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I think I I really appreciate that. And I think what I'm sensing is I really have to kind of go within myself and decide, do I want to play the long game or do I want to play the short game and like make the decision based on that and then go for it. Um, So I really appreciate your insight. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it could just be like a sell half, keep half. If you're sitting on a lot of gains in a few months, and then, like, if you want to play the long game, still have, keep half, and then reaccumulate lower. Again, I'm not a financial advisor, but just be careful. Crypto bear markets are very savage, very savage. Yeah. So I think we're in a bull market. I think we're going to be going up for months. But, you know, just don't, don't, don't think that the bear market's going to be nice. It's not going to be nice. Right, right. <laughs> 100%. Thank you so much. <laughs> yep. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for the question, man. That's a great question for a lot of people that would uh, be in a similar position. So, Folix, you're up here. Folix, you got a question? Yes, I do. Um, hi, Kevin. I just have a question. Uh, how do you value a project? I know a lot of people basically just compare market caps. For example, um, if it's a DAX, they would just compare it to Uniswap market cap, and then they don't expect it to gain the full market cap, but let's say a third of it. And my other question is, how? what do you think about applying the Fibonacci to the pair of the token versus BTC uh, instead of just applying it to the token versus USD? Wait, so your question is, what do I think about the pairings? No, my first, it's a two, uh, it's two questions. The first question was, how do you value a project? Like, basically, if you were to look at a project, and you would think it's undervalued. How do you determine that? Yeah, that's okay. So that question in crypto is actually really difficult to um, get correct because it's so speculative. And for example, like one coin I've been super bullish on for super long, but it has done nothing is a CRV curved out token. It has the it has the most total value locked across all, right? It has like, or I think it's, or maybe Ave just surpassed it, but it's like it's like first or second place. The most value of all crypt, of, of any crypto project across all chains, the coin has done nothing, and you would think that that coin would be like in the at least the top like fifty or the top twenty five, but it's not. And so like, and then but but what coin is in the top ten? So it's like, okay, how do you value a project? 
that's a good question. It's and it, it's actually kind of like case by case. It's like, can you figure out like the social media um, activity? Like you, honestly, I feel like it's more of like a a real time equation based on circumstance and like where you are in the market cycle. Um, because it's really hard to say how about what the value of a project is in crypto. Just like because a lot of times it doesn't play out to the actual fundamentals. So it's hard. It's really hard to say. Uh, maybe ask that question too. Um, I just want to say, usually, um, I'm not, I'm no expert, but usually, one of the easiest way, which I actually I follow you a lot. Um, a lot of time, what people do, like I was saying, they just basically go and stick within the same industry. For example, if it's a D, if it, if it's a DAX, and they would say, let's say it's a hundred million, for example, but it's Let's say it's doing the same exact of swaps like dollar wise as let's say one inch. So the assumption a lot of time is that, well, it's at least gonna catch half of the market cap. So if it's at a, at a hundred million, you would be like, well, at least it's gonna go to 300. Um, it's not set on stone, but it has worked for me for a little bit in a couple of projects. Yeah, you know, that, that is a way to do it and that does work, right? You can do it that way, and sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, it's, it's kind of it's this that this this question would actually take a much longer conversation to answer. I would, I think. Yeah, and uh, thank you to Solix for the question, and then uh, the follow up. And we have one more question. I want to let the community get to. So, uh, absolutely, you're up here. Uh, do you want to ask your question? Yes. Uh, hi, Kevin. Thank you for taking questions. I wanted to know uh, what you think the long-term potential price of Bitcoin might be beyond uh, this market cycle. Um, like, for example, um, if the Winklevoss twins think that Bitcoin's market cap might rival gold, um, and Kathy Wood, I think... Uh, has a similar uh, thesis, which would put Bitcoin around five hundred thousand dollars. Do you uh, have a, a, a sim any similar thoughts about what Bitcoin might end up at beyond this cycle? So I think the I think the thesis that Bitcoin is going to you know rival gold is extremely valid and it's extremely likely because it's because Bitcoin accessible, right? You know what really are people doing with you know the with gold? I mean, Bitcoin you could access it really any day you want. Even if you don't own any Bitcoin, you can get a hold of some pretty much within 24 hours or two days or something. Um, so it's a fast moving market. You know we're having we're getting you know taproot upgrade. So Bitcoin is going to be able to branch out into the whole digital space in in a very, very intricate way. So like basically Bitcoin can attach itself to the growth of the entire tech sector over the next decade. Gold can't do that. Bitcoin can. So Bitcoin has that advantage that it can grow with technology, which means Bitcoin is going to surpass gold. It's going to surpass gold at some point uh, because, I mean, it, it's just like inevitable. It's like a pretty clear equation, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, 
500,000, I think millions. I actually think in millions. Now, I don't want to sound like a moon boy. It's going to take a long time to get there, right? In the next bull market, we may only hit, well, only, we may hit like 500,000. And then it's going to be like eight years from now, 10 years from now, we go to a million or more or something, right? That's all possible. But I think Bitcoin is going to surpass gold because, uh, again, Bitcoin is accessible. Bitcoin will integrate all of tech. You know, like it'll be it'll just be growing with everything else. It'll be growing with the Internet, with AI, with all of these other things. That's a great point. And, um, you know, it, you know, Bitcoin is the future. I think gold is great, but Bitcoin is definitely the future. And there's there's no doubt in that. So that was a great question. Thanks for thanks for asking that. Well, we have I just have one last question for you, Kevin, and we really appreciate you coming on. Everyone coming on here, um, whether you're listening or coming up and, and ask a question to, to Kevin and listening to his insight. So you've mentioned in your videos several times that um, you believe either Q4 or Q1, it maybe even just a little bit later of next year, that will become an everything season. What exactly do you mean by that? And do you mean like every single crypto or is it just in the top 20 or, or what? Um, what do you yeah, mean so this, that's a good, that's good question. And actually, I think I'm going to add something onto that at the end. Um, so, yeah, everything seasoned. We saw this in 2017, where there's a point in the cycle where there's so much hype, so much money flowing into the industry that almost everything is just going up. And we actually saw that in 2020 or, or you know, going from 2020 into 2021. There was a point when it was like everything seasoned. If I remember correctly, there was like everything was kind of just pumping. Um, right. Whereas in, yeah. in like a bearish scenario or a sideways market, I should say, in a sideways Bitcoin market, money is cycling between Bitcoin and alts, and you have alt season, Bitcoin season. But in a true crypto bull market, it becomes everything season, where it's like mostly everything's going up. And here's another thing: is in the in the um, in the 2018 bear market, we did see a lot of alt alt gains. Money flowed out of the top coins went to the smaller coins, and eventually everything crashed. This time around, because crypto is actually usable and co companies, corporations are actually use, are actually integrating it, there's a chance that a very small percentage of projects could actually gain against a bear market um, if they are vastly like detached from the overall market. Like as crypto becomes adopted by other industries, that their fundamentals may be more tied to that industry than just the crypto trends. So I think we're moving into a point where maybe not this cycle, but maybe in a few couple cycles, we're going to see more unique move sectors within crypto. Because currently, it doesn't matter really what the sector it is. Everything's just going up and down kind of at the same time. But I think a sign of maturity will be when sectors within crypto are trading against each other. And we're not there yet. We may see signs of it in this cycle or in the next bear market. We'd like to thank Kevin Svensson and the community for a great conversation. To stay informed of upcoming conversations, subscribe to the Investorly newsletter at investorly.substack.com. Investorly, invest early in yourself.